It's good to be in the spirit on the Lord's day. It's the only place to be, right? In spirit. Okay, saints, uh, again, the general subject of our time together this weekend is maintaining a healthy Christian life and a healthy church life. And uh, we've seen that we need to cleave to the healthy teaching of God's economy and we need to live in the divine dispensing of God in Christ as the spirit into our being. So remember, the subject of 1 Timothy is God's economy concerning the church. The subject of 2 Timothy is the inoculation against the decline of the church. Uh, In this message, we want to focus on two points in 2 Timothy. And you can see the title of this message is a man of God with the breath of God. We all need to be men of God with the breath of God. And also, we want to enjoy the Lord being with our spirit to be our empowering grace. Now come straight to the outline. Uh, Roman number one says God's ultimate intention is to gain a corporate God-man for his corporate manifestation. God does not desire a good man, but a God-man. A man of God with the breath of God. Now, uh, saints, of course, the Lord Jesus was God-manifested in the flesh. But if you look at 1 Timothy 3, 15 and 16 closely... You could see that the church as the body of Christ is the corporate manifestation of God in the flesh. And uh, so corporately, we need to be a man of God with the breath of God. Now, this is very enlightening to me and illuminating, is that in the scriptures, there are three breathings that God gave, three breathings. And we'll see what these three breathings are. Uh, I'll just mention them to you briefly before we get into the outline. The first breathing is in Genesis 2-7, where it says God breathed in a man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So we'll see that the breath of life that God breathed in a man's nostrils was man's human spirit. Then... uh, Centuries later, when God became a man, he passed through human living, crucifixion, and resurrection. And in resurrection, he became the life-giving spirit. So there's another breathing in John 20, 22, when the Lord appeared to the disciples in resurrection. Uh, he didn't give a long message. He said to them, receive the holy breath. Actually, the word there in the Greek is pneuma, pneuma, which you can translate as spirit or breath. In the, according to the context, it says he breathed into them. So, uh, and he said to them, receive the holy breath. The fact that he breathed into them shows that we can use the word breath for the holy breath. 
So the Holy Spirit in our spirit is the holy breath. And we need to exercise our spirit to receive the Holy Spirit. We received the Holy Spirit when we got regenerated, holy breath. But we need to receive the Spirit continually. Then another breath, another breathing is in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, where this verse says, all scripture is God-breathed, is God-breathed. So a third breathing in the Bible is God-breathed out the Holy Scriptures. And so when we get into the Holy Scripture, we need to realize we are getting into God's breath, God's breath. So when we pray over the scriptures, we are inhaling. We are inhaling God. And then when we we minister God to others, we are exhaling God. We need to inhale God. Uh, God breathes scriptures, especially in the morning. And then when we get with other people, we need to exhale God into others so that uh, he can breathe himself into them and they can be revived and renewed with the God-breathed scriptures. Okay, now let's come to the first breathing. A says, Jehovah God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Man became a living soul. So you have the three parts of man here, actually, the three parts of man God formed man from the dust of the ground. That's man's body. God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. That's man's spirit. And then he became a living soul. That's man's soul. So when he created man, he created man with a spirit, a soul, and a body. A spirit, a soul, and a body. And this is what makes us, our spirit, is what makes us different from the animals. Uh, We're not descendants of monkeys. Uh, Monkeys don't have a spirit. If you look into, go to the zoo, there's a zoo in London, right? Okay, if you go to the zoo in London and you go and look at the monkeys, uh, they're not building temples in there. They're not thinking about the meaning of human life. they're not, you know, their, bur- their eyebrows aren't like this. Oh, what's the meaning of my life? All they're worried about is where the next banana is coming from. Uh, you know, but Pascal said, Pascal said there's a God-shaped vacuum in every man that only God can fill. That God-shaped vacuum is our human spirit, our human spirit. And, of course, one part of our spirit is our conscience. And, you know, animals, they don't have a conscience. They have a body. They have a soul. Uh, Like my dog. I love my dog. Uh, He has a, you know, it's really something in in the Western world. People love their dogs. In the Far East, they don't love their dogs so much. I feel sorry for the dogs when I go to some countries. Uh, But anyway, uh, uh, 
A dog has a body, of course, different from our body, right? It's shaped like this, four legs. Uh, a dog has a soul. He thinks. Uh, he has a mind. He has emotions. He has a will. And whenever I come home, my dog is so happy to see me. No matter how, if I feel bad, I'm so glad there's one creature who's glad to see me. He always wags his tail so strongly uh, when he sees me. But he does not have a spirit. He does not have a spirit. One time I was working with the brothers, and when I first got married, Ruth used to pack lunches for me. I call them honeymoon lunches. You know where there's, there's a bag, and she would fill that bag with the riches, rich food, you know, just food would be bursting out of the bag, you know. Now it's just a banana, banana bologna sandwich or something like that. Anyway, uh, but the, the, I, I used to, when I was working with the brothers, I couldn't wait for lunch. So we're working hard on a construction project, and... Um, I said, brothers, I looked at my watch. I said, it's time for lunch. They said, we always know when it's lunchtime because we're working with Brother Ed. And so I said, it's time for lunch. We have to take a break. So I always look forward to lunch. And I put my lunch on top of the car, on top of a, the truck that we were working out of. And when I came to get my lunch, this dog got the bag and he had eaten my lunch. He ate my whole lunch. And I looked at him. He wasn't bothered at all. Because he didn't have a conscience. So he was just, you know, licking his lips and looking at me. And uh, Whereas if, if Jim had eaten my lunch, his conscience would have bothered him. He was, oh my goodness. Ed, I'm sorry I ate your lunch, right? Because he has a spirit. He has a spirit. So we have a spirit uh, breathed into us by God. And, of course, the functions of our spirit is we have a conscience. We have an intuition, which, is, which gives us a direct sense of God. And we can come under God's direct ruling by exercising our spirit. And another function of our spirit is fellowship. We have the fellowship of spirit. We can fellowship with God. We can communicate with God. Uh, we can contact God. Uh, brothers and sisters, I would like to ask you a question which, which our brother asked one time. He said, why did you come to this meeting? Why did you come to this meeting? Now, I don't want you to answer, but just think about this. Why did you come to this meeting? Well, uh, Brother Lee asked this question one time, and he asked the brothers on the front row, why did you come to this meeting? And one brother asked, one brother asked, one, and, he, and they were all wrong. They were all wrong. When Brother Lee asked a question, it was a lose-lose situation. <laughs> you, you, you could rarely, rarely find the right answer. But the reason why we came to this meeting this morning is so that we can contact God in our spirit. 
We want to contact God in our spirit this morning. If we don't contact God this morning, we've missed the purpose of this meeting. But the only way we can contact God is in our spirit. Now, under A, one says, The breath of life breathed in a man's body became the spirit of man, the human spirit. So Proverbs 20, 27 says, The spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah, searching all the innermost parts of our inner being. Darby's new translation says, The spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah, searching all the chambers of the soul. I like that. God uses our spirit as a lamp to search all the chambers of our soul. And the light of that lamp, which is our spirit, where the light of that lamp shines into our soul, that becomes the light of life, that gives life to all the parts of our soul. Well, that word for spirit in Proverbs 20, 27 is the same Hebrew word for breath in Genesis 2, 7, the breath of life, the spirit of man. Uh, the breath there and the spirit of man in Proverbs 20, 27, that Hebrew word is neshama, uh, the neshama of life. He breathed into man's nostrils the neshama of life. Then Proverbs 20, 27 says, the neshama of man is the lamp of Jehovah. So by this we know that God, when God breathed in man's nostrils the breath of life, that was man's human spirit. Now two says, the breath of life breathed in a man's body was not the eternal life of God, nor the spirit of God. But because the human spirit came out of God's breath of life, it is very close to the spirit of God. Our spirit is very close to the spirit of God. Of course, when we get regenerated, the spirit comes into our spirit. And the spirit witnesses with our spirit that we are the children of God. And the divine spirit comes into our human spirit. And these two spirits mingle together to become one spirit. So 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, He who is joined to the Lord... I'd like to ask you, are you joined to the Lord? Amen. He was joined to the Lord is one spirit, is one spirit. Now, because the human spirit is very close to the spirit of God, that brings us to three. It says, thus, there can be a transmission between God, the spirit and man's spirit. And the human spirit is able to contact God and be one with God. So our human spirit, by exercising our spirit, we can contact God, we can receive God, we can contain God, we can assimilate God into our entire being so that God becomes our life and God becomes our everything. Now B is a second breathing, second breathing in the Bible. And it says he breathed into them. And said to them, receive the holy pneuma. Holy pneuma. That's the Greek word there, the holy pneuma. Now, one says, the holy pneuma is the Holy Spirit or the holy breath. Two says, in the gospel of John, 
there are three wonderful expressions. The word, the flesh, and the breath. The word is God, the flesh is man, and the breath is the spirit. Three says, the word became flesh to accomplish judicial redemption and then resurrected to become the holy breath indwelling us and supplying us for our organic salvation. Our organic salvation. So the word becoming flesh is for our judicial redemption. Uh, and then he resurrected to become the holy breath indwelling us and supplying us for our organic salvation. Our organic salvation. In Romans 5.10 says that we being enemies were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more we will be saved in his life. We'll be saved in his life having been reconciled. So we've been reconciled to God, and because we've been reconciled to God, we are no longer enemies of God. We are friends of God. We're God's friends. You know, you know in the Bible, we are descendants of Abraham. We are sons of Abraham. I always wondered, how could I be a son of Abraham, son of Abraham? Well, uh, in resurrection, the Lord Lord was transfigured into the life-giving spirit. He was transfigured into the life-giving spirit. So the spirit who dwells in us is the transfigured son of Abraham. Or the transfigured seed of Abraham. Seed means son. So, uh, the Lord Jesus was the son of Abraham. He was transfigured in resurrection to become the life-giving breath. When he came into our spirit, the transfigured son of Abraham came into our spirit, making us a son of Abraham. Isn't that wonderful? That's absolutely wonderful. Now, um... So we need to be saved in his life every day. The way we can be saved in his life is by calling on the name of the Lord. Uh, Paul says in Romans 10, 12, and 13, he says there's no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all and rich to all who call upon him. Saints, I don't know, I don't care how long we've been in the recovery, how long we've been a Christian, don't graduate from calling upon the name of the Lord. If you graduate, you say, oh, this is for the new ones, this is for the young ones. If you graduate from calling upon the name of the Lord, you, are, you have graduated into a coffin, into a coffin. Uh, if, if we stop breathing physically, if I stop breathing what is 911 in, in London? It's not 911. Three nines. Nine, nine, nine. Okay, if, if I stop breathing, you'd have to call 999, right? Well, our breathing is our calling upon the name of the Lord. And in Acts 9, uh, when Saul of Tarsus was, was going to arrest arrest the Christians and bring them bound back to Jerusalem, uh, he was going to arrest those 
who called upon the name of the Lord. Now, what that means is the way Saul of Tarsus identified whether someone was a believer or not was that they called upon the name of the Lord Jesus. You see, he would, if he would be there in the street and he would hear a person call on the name of the Lord, he would arrest them. And so uh, I read that verse in Acts 9, and I, I asked myself a question. Ed, would you be arrestable today? Would you be arrestable? Uh, if, if, in other words, would Saul of Tarsus arrest you? How much do you call upon the name of the Lord? I think we all realize we need to call upon the name of the Lord more, more and more. And it says, for whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So when we call upon the name of the Lord the first time, we get saved in our spirit. But we need to be saved continually uh, from Satan, from sin, from death, from the world, and from ourselves. And if we're going to be saved continually, we need to call upon the name of the Lord. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but uh, sometimes the Lord reduces us to just calling on the name of the Lord. There's nothing else we can do but call on the name of the Lord. He puts us in situations where we must call upon his name. And that brings us to Lamentations. You know, Lamentations was written by Jeremiah. Jeremiah is called the weeping prophet. He's called the weeping prophet. Because Israel, at the time of Jeremiah, was in such degradation that Jeremiah just wept. He wept a lot for the condition of the Israelites. And so... uh, He wrote another book besides Jeremiah. He wrote the book Lamentations. Now, you may feel that your biography could be entitled Lamentations. Uh, But uh, no matter where you are, if you're in a lamentable state, you can call upon the name of the Lord. So, Lamentations 3, 55 and 56 says, I called upon your name, O Jehovah. I like this. O Jehovah. O Lord. Saints, we need to O Lord our way into the kingdom. O Lord. And saints, that that word O, that means a lot. The word O. One time a a brother came to me. He was a new one uh, in Houston. Now he's a doctor. He's a leading brother. But he was brand new. And he said, Ed, uh, this opposer came up to me and said to me, why do you people say, oh, so much? Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh. Why do you say, oh? Can you imagine that? What kind of a question is that? And so... I said, okay, brother, you know, we didn't have things, we didn't have cell phones then or, you know, uh, anyway, you know, all the modern technology we have. So I had a big, thick book of Strong's Concordance, Strong's Concordance. I said, brother, let's look up the word O, just O. 
And so we looked up the word O. Oh, there's hundreds and hundreds of O's in the Bible. Oh, Jehovah. Oh, Lord. You know, it makes a big difference. Like, here's Jim and Becky are here. And am I right? You're in London now, right? And if I say Jim, if I just call his name Jim, Jim. Yeah, see, he, he responds to me. But if I say, oh, Jim. <laughs> when I say, oh, Jim, that means I really want him. You see what I mean? I really want his attention. I really want his person. So I say, oh, Jim. And this is the way with the Lord. We say, oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord. So I called upon your name, O Lord, or O Jehovah, from the lowest pit. When you are in a low pit, when you are in the lowest pit, not just the low pit, uh, sometimes we get in the lowest pit. It's not just the low pit, it's the lowest pit. Don't analyze why you're in the lowest pit. Many times we analyze, how did I get in this pit? What did I do wrong? Uh, How did I get here? Don't analyze, just call on the name of the Lord in the lowest pit. And then Jeremiah says, you have heard my voice. Saints, the Lord wants to hear our voice. We'll see this later. Uh, You know, in in the Bible, especially in the Psalms, it says, I cried out to the Lord. Uh, The Lord wants to hear our audible voice. He wants to hear our voice. Uh, many times we, when we pray, uh, we, we pray silently, right? We just, then we fall asleep, you know. But the Lord likes to hear our voice. He likes to hear our voice. Uh, in Song of Songs 2, 8 and 9, uh, the seeker says, Oh, the voice of my beloved. We like to hear his voice. Then if you go to verse 14, uh, the seeker, he calls the seeker, he says, you are my dove. You are my dove. Which means that she's been so saturated with the spirit that she becomes his dove. The dove is a symbol of the spirit. He says, oh my dove, in the clefts of the rock and in the covert of the precipice. In other words, She is dwelling in the crucified Christ as the clefts of the rock and the covert of the precipice. And then it says this in Song of Songs 2.14. The Lord says this to the seeker. He He didn't say this, let me hear your thoughts. He said, let me hear your voice. We want to hear the Lord's voice. He wants to hear our voice. And then he says, He says this, your voice is sweet to me, and your countenance is lovely to me. Saints, when we are abiding in the crucified Christ, he wants to hear our voice. Then our voice, our audible voice, is sweet to him, and our countenance is lovely to him, is lovely to him. So it says, you have heard my voice. Do not hide your ear at my breathing, at my cry. So this shows that calling upon the name of the Lord is our spiritual breathing. 
our spiritual breathing. The way we breathe in the Lord is by calling upon his name. Now notice it says, don't I drew up my breathing at my cry, at my cry. Saints, when you spend time with the Lord, get to a, sometimes we need to get to a private place where we can cry out to the Lord. We can cry out to the Lord. Uh, of course, in the morning, we don't want to wake everybody up by crying out loudly to the Lord. But I'll read you something from the ministry in a little bit here. We can still pray audibly to the Lord even if it's in a low voice, even if it's in a low voice. We need to try or do our best to pray audibly to the Lord. Actually, I'm coming to this point now. I didn't realize it was in this point. Uh, Okay, now I've got these verses from Psalms here. Psalm 5.3 says, O Jehovah, in the morning you will hear my voice. In the morning, it's not you will hear my thoughts. In the morning, you will hear my voice. This says, in the morning, I will set forth my words in order to you, and I will watch. Psalm 77.1 says, my voice calls out to God, and I will cry out. My voice calls out to God, and he will give ear to me. Psalm 107, verse 6. These are just samples. Then they cried out to Jehovah in their trouble. If you're in trouble, cry out to the Lord. Cry out to him. And it says that he delivered them from their distresses. In Psalm 119, 147, the psalmist says this, I, anticipate, I anticipated the dawn. And cried out. I cried out. I hoped in your words. So the psalmist here, he anticipated the dawn. How much do we anticipate the dawn where we can cry out to the Lord? We can spend personal, intimate, affectionate, secret time with the Lord. You know, one time uh, I was with Brother Benson Phillips. We were giving a conference somewhere. And this brother, I can't give you the exact times, but I can give you the gist of it. He said this. He said that he woke up like in the middle of the night at 3 a.m., something like that. And he looked at the clock. It was 3 a.m. And he said to himself, he said, oh, in three more hours, I get to spend personal time with the Lord. Now, Benson and I just went... Oh, Lord Jesus. We were convicted. We were convicted. Because if we have to get up at 6, we look at the clock and it's 5.45, most of the times we say, oh, no. Oh, no. We thought it was much earlier than that. We need to change all our own no's into oh, Lord's. Into oh, Lord's. We should anticipate our time with the Lord and cry out to him and cry out to him. Now, let me read you something. This is a booklet by Watchman E called Burden and Prayer. Burden and Prayer. A very, very good booklet. Now, I'll just read you, uh, well, actually just one paragraph 
from this booklet. It says, we believe that if God gives a prayer burden, he wants it to be uttered. He wants audible expressions given to it. However few and however disjointed the words may be. No burden can be discharged without expression. Brothers and sisters, in the spiritual realm, there is an amazing principle connected with this matter of utterance. God not only takes account of what we believe, he takes account of what we say, what we say. Mark 7.29 records that our Lord said to the Syrophoenician woman, for this saying, in other words, for what you've said, for what you've said, go your way. The demon is gone out of your daughter. The woman spoke only a sentence, but the few words she uttered caused the Lord to work, caused the Lord to work. We may make a request in our hearts, but there is more effect in an uttered, uttered request, in an uttered request. God seems to require that we speak out what is in the heart. When our Lord was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so heavily burdened that he offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying, with strong crying. This is Hebrews 5, 7. So he strongly cried out to the Father. We are not insisting on loud prayers, but there should be a correspondence between the inner burden and the outward expression. If we cannot pray aloud in our homes, let us try to find a place of prayer elsewhere, as the Lord did. He resorted to the desert and to the mountain. At all events, let us pray audibly, even if we have to pray in a low voice. The burden God has given us has to be uttered in order to be released. I think that's very helpful, brothers and sisters. Uh, we read this part of this in a church meeting, and um, this sister shared she had been in the recovery for years, and she just was very honest before the Lord, very transparent. She said, I never realized this before, that the Lord wants to hear our voice, that he wants the burden within us to be uttered audibly so that he can be dispensed into us richly. So um, this was a new light to her. So I hope that we practice this. Now in C, we come to the third breathing. All scripture is God breathed. God speaking is God's breathing out. Hence his word is spirit or breath or breath. So the Lord says in John 6, 63, he says, it is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words which I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. So the words that the Lord speaks are breath, are his breath, and they're life to us, and they're life to us. Now, D says, this all reveals that being a man of God with the breath of God requires the exercise of our spirit the continual receiving of the Spirit, and the breathing in of God's Word. Breathing in of God's Word. 
Okay, now we come to Roman numeral two. Roman numeral two. Roman numeral two says the antidote of the divine inoculation against the decline of the church is the God-breathed scripture, which is profitable for teaching, conviction, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, fully equipped for every good work. This is 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Now, I, I still remember uh, the churches, this was in about 1977, uh, were passing through somewhat of a turmoil, and uh, the prescription in the ministry for that turmoil was to read the Bible every day, every day. Believe it or not, we had gotten away from reading the Bible. So the prescription was read three chapters in the Old Testament and read one chapter in the New Testament every day. Well, the saints did that. All the churches got revived. All the churches got revived. All the saints got revived. Of course, we need to read the word with prayer so that we can breathe in the word. And we'll see that when we receive the word by means of all prayer, it becomes a sword. It becomes the sword of the spirit uh, to slay the adversary within us. You know, in Ephesians 6, 17, and 18, it says, Receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which spirit is the word of God by means of all prayer and petition. So the way we receive the sword of the spirit, which spirit is the word of God, is by means of all prayer and petition. And that sword of the spirit, uh, many times we think that sword is pointed this way, toward our roommate, maybe toward our spouse. We, we, you know, we, we do this with the, with the word. But the sword is pointed this way, this way. The sword of the spirit, which spirit is the word of God. And Satan is not only the enemy outside of us, he's also the adversary within us, within us. And so we need the sword of the spirit, which spirit is the word of God. When we pray, read, when we genuinely pray, read the word of God. And saints, when we get together corporately, we pray, read the word of God by, by, by repeating the word of God. We, and that's a way of pray reading, to repeat the word of God. When we get together, when we get together with the Lord personally and privately, we can use the word of God in our conversation with him. We, for instance, John 1, 1 says, in the beginning was the word. And we could say, oh, Lord, thank you. In the beginning was the word. Lord, I want a new beginning with you this morning. I want to begin today with you as the word. Oh, praise the Lord in the beginning. In the beginning was the word. And when you pray, read the word, that word becomes a sword to slay the adversary within you, to slay the enemy as the adversary inside of you. Now, many times... Uh, sometimes we get offended in the church life. If you've never been offended, you're not telling the truth. Now, we've all been offended, right? 
at times. We get offended. And um, that's why uh, right after the Lord revealed the universal church in Matthew 16, in Matthew 18, he talks about the local church. And when he talks about the local church, all, mostly what he talks about in Matthew 18 is forgive one another. And Peter said, Lord, how often shall I forgive my brother? Up to seven times? And I've always thought, now this is just me, I've always thought that one of the other disciples offended Peter seven times. And so may have offended Peter seven times. This is, this is just my theory. Uh, may have offended Peter seven times. So Peter... We thought, if he does it eight times, I'm going to just get all over his case. You know, sometimes when we forgive people, someone offends us, and we say, oh, I forgive you. You know, we say, I forgive that brother. Then the brother offends us another time, and we say, oh, I forgive you. Then a brother offends us the third time. We say, that's the third time you've done that. Now, why did we say that's the third time you've done that? Is because we really never forgave them the first two times. Uh, we need to take the Lord as our forgiving life to forgive one another. We don't have a forgiving bone in our body, but we have our forgiving life in our spirit. But sometimes uh, a brother or a sister will, will be offended and will determine not to forget that offense. We'll determine not to forget that offense. That's a terrible state to be in. In the church life, we need to forgive and forget. Forgive and forget uh, others' mistakes, errors, wrongdoings, uh, offenses against us. We need to forgive and forget. The only way we can do that is to take the Lord as our forgiving life and say, Lord, I take you as my forgiving life. And I forgive that brother or that sister from my heart, from my heart. And uh, when we determine not to, for, not to forget an offense, that is the adversary within us. That is the adversary within us taking advantage of our mind, emotion, and will, causing us to determine not to forget an offense. That's terrible to be in the church. I, you know, I see Mike Holt here. Uh, Mike and I, uh, we were at the same college together. Right, Mike? Uh, I was teaching. You were, you were still working on your degree, weren't you? Yeah, yeah. Now, look at us. We have gray hair and, uh, you know, but, uh, but I'm using Mike as an example because Mike's a marvelous brother. I can use him as an example. But let's say Mike uh, offended me. And I determined not to forget that offense. So he offended me in 1988. And I still remember the offense. I still remember the offense. In 1988, Mike offended me. He offended me. And so in the, in the prayer meeting, when everybody prays, uh, we say amen, right? When the saint prays, we say amen. But because I, I determined not to forget Mike's offense, when he prays, I don't say amen. I just, I just, you know. Then when Ron prays next, I say amen. 
You know, well, to say amen to someone's prayer means a lot. It means a lot. But what happens is the adversary within us takes advantage of our emotion to cause us not to forget an offense. This is why we need to receive the word of God, receive the sword of the spirit, which spirit is the word of God by means of all prayer and petition. Then that prayer, that pray reading the word and talking to the Lord with the words of the Bible uh, becomes a sword to slay the adversary within us. Pray reading is a great thing, brothers and sisters. Not only does it supply us with life, but uh, it's a sword to slay the adversary within us. It's the only offensive weapon of the armor that the church as the warrior of God has in Ephesians 6. So if we didn't pray read the word, where would we be? Where would we be, where would we be today? Um, you know, none of us are marble persons, you know, quote, quote, marble. Where we just, you know, we never get offended. We do. We do get offended at times, right? But the way we're preserved in the church life, the way we're preserved in the ministry of the word, is by taking the word of God by means of all prayer and petition. Then that word becomes the sword of the spirit to slay the adversary within us. And because that word slays the adversary within us, we forgive one another. We forgive one another. The church life is a life of forgiving one another, of forgiving one another. You can see this in the epistles. But the only way we can forgive one another consistently is by receiving the sword of the spirit, which spirit is the word of God, by means of all prayer and petition. I don't know what the brothers did and sisters did when we didn't have pray reading. At one time in the history of the recovery, we didn't know to pray over the scriptures. But uh, if you look in the Bible, you look throughout church history, uh, all the men of God, the godly men, uh, they prayed over the scriptures. They prayed over the scriptures. You know, George Mueller, uh, in the 19th century, he was a real man of God. He had an orphanage. He lived by faith. And uh, the way he prayed over the scriptures was he would take a large print Bible, a large print Bible with him, and he would take a long walk uh, in a field. And he would open the scripture up, and he would pray over those words. He would pray, read the words. And by praying over those words and praying the word back to God, he got the light of life and he got the sword of the spirit to slay the adversary within within him. And so we all need to pray, read the word. Don't take pray reading for granted. We have calling on the name of the Lord. We have pray reading the word. Many times we don't pray read the word adequately. Uh, We just, we might have Holy Word for Morning Revival, and we get into that. We have verses in the box. We just read the verses in the box. We read the ministry quickly. We say, I've done my duty, you know, 
Uh, it's like having a morning time with a, uh, a donut and a cup of coffee. Uh, you don't have a real solid breakfast, right? We need to have, uh, the Lord needs to be our breakfast every morning. Amen. Our solid spiritual food, breakfast. And the only way he can be that way is if we really pray over God's word, we pray with God's word, and we pray, read the word. You know, I was at a medical clinic one time. The, the brothers sent me to a medical clinic, and I was at this medical clinic for 18 days. Uh, anyway, I really thank the Lord for the brothers. And this, this doctor... This doctor saw me every day. Every day he, he, he had me in his office. And he was a brother. And so he prayed before he would give his diagnosis or talk to me about my health, he would pray. And then I would pray. I think he was surprised that I would pray. You know, he prayed, then I prayed. And then one day he said, he said, Ed, do you memorize the Bible? And I said, Dr. Lukens, memorization is very good. It's good to memorize the Bible. I said, but I do something more than memorize the Bible. I pray read the Bible. He said, what is that? What is pray reading the Bible? And so I shared with him how we convert the words of the Bible into prayer, into prayer. And so he was re greatly touched with that, greatly touched with that. I really love this brother to this day. He doesn't meet with us, but um, he was really touched by that. One time he came to my room. Uh, it was in the evening. He knocked on the door. I opened the door. It's Dr. Lukens. He said, Ed, come with me. There's a sister among us that wants to, us to pray for her to be healed, to be healed. And so Dr. Lukens had been a missionary. They were going to have other missionaries there, a pastor there, to pray for this sister. I said, oh, my goodness. I said, Dr. Lukens, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a pastor. No, I was trying to get out of it. I'm not a pastor. So he said, oh, yes, you are. You come with me. Oh, yes, you are. You come with me. And so I couldn't get out of it. So I went with him, and one of the brothers there shared something that was very much according to the ministry. I was so relieved, you know what I mean? Uh, he told this sister, he said, the Lord can heal you instantly if he wants to. Or the Lord can heal you gradually by grace. He can heal you gradually. That's the second type of healing. Physical healing heals you gradually by grace. But there's a third healing. That's when you're raptured. When you're raptured. Saints, when we are raptured, we will be healed. In all three parts of our being, we will be fully healed. So when he shared that, I just was so relieved because that's exactly what the ministry shares. Exactly. So I had the boldness to pray for this sister uh, based on that fellowship. I'm sorry, that was a little sidebar. Okay, now A says, the Bible is God's breath, 
This breath is the spirit, and the spirit gives life. One says our reading of the Bible should be our inhaling of God to receive life, and our teaching of the Bible should be our exhaling of God to impart life. So in Acts 6-4, the apostle says, we will continue steadfastly in prayer and in the ministry of the word. So we need to follow the example of the apostles to devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And prayer is what gives the ministry of the word its power and effectiveness. So, um, anyway, we need to pray over God's word. Now, um, I'll read two. If I read two, I'll read it again. We need to read the Bible by means of all prayer and petition in the spirit to inhale God. And we need to minister the word as the spirit to exhale God into others. B says, on God's side, the Bible is God's breathing. On our side, the Bible is for us to receive the breath of God as our prophet in four matters. Teaching, conviction, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now, when we read this, mostly we read this quickly. But in this outline, we're going to see what, what teaching is, what, convic- what conviction is, what correction is, and what instruction in righteousness is when we breathe in the word. Now, one says teaching equals revelation. To teach is to roll away the veil so that others may see something of the triune God and his economy. So Paul said in Ephesians 3.9 that his, his ministry was to enlighten everyone that they might see the economy of the mystery which, which is hidden in, has been hidden in God throughout the ages. So when we teach, we teach the junior hires, the high schoolers, the college saints, uh, whoever in the community, we, we teach. Our teaching should roll away the veil from people gradually. Roll away the veil. Now, two said conviction comes from, from the revelation that we have seen. Whenever we see something of God, we realize our mistakes, wrongdoings, shortcomings, and sins. And the result is that we are convicted and reproved. The more we see God, know God, and love God, the more we abhor ourselves and deny ourselves. So saints, we need to see God in the word, know God in the word, love God in the word. And the more we do this, the more we abhor ourselves and the more we deny ourselves. In Isaiah 6, I won't read all these verses, uh, but it says in verse 1, Isaiah says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a, on a high and lofty throne. Uh, in the life study of Isaiah, one of the messages says, this was a vision that Isaiah saw in his depression. His depression. So if you're in a state of depression, you can still see a vision. You can still see a vision. So he saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And after he saw the Lord, he said this, Woe is me, for I am finished. When you see the Lord, 
You see your own condition. He said, woe is me, for I'm finished. From a man of unclean lips, and in the midst of a people of unclean lips I dwell, yet my eyes have seen the king Jehovah of hosts. Then it says, one of the seraphim flew to me. Seraphim represents God's holiness. Flew to me with an ember in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs, and he touched my mouth with it and said, now that this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now that ember from the altar signifies the effectiveness of Christ's redemption accomplished on the cross. So it says, now your sin is taken away, your iniquity, your iniquity is taken away, your sin is purged. It says, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? So the I turns into us. Who is this I, us? This I, us is the triune God. And then I, I, I really enjoy Isaiah's response. He said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Now, now Mike, where are you located now? And where, I'm sorry. Oh, you're in the UK. And you're in the northern part of the UK. The east part of the UK. Yeah. And you used to be in Denton, Texas. Isn't that amazing? Now you're in the UK. And the Lord sent you here, right? The Lord sent you. You have the assurance that the Lord sent you here. So I believe you had this experience, and you said to the Lord, maybe you not, may not have said these exact words, but you said, Lord, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. So all of us have been sent by the Lord uh, through being convicted by the word. We see God, know God, and love God, and we abhor ourselves and deny ourselves. Now, three says correction follows conviction and is a matter of setting right what is wrong, turning someone to the right way, and restoring to an upright state. Matthew 7, 13 and 14 says, Enter in through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many are those who enter through it. Because narrow is the gate and constricted is the way that leads to life, and few are those who find it. We need to pray that all of us become one of those few, one of those few who take the constricted way. We go through the narrow gate. We walk on the constricted way that leads to life. We don't take the broad way, the broad way. It says many are those Many are those who enter through this gate, uh, through the wide gate, and they take the broad way, the broad way. You know, in New York City, there's a famous street called Broadway. Then I found out close to here, there's a street called Broadway, right? And you can go uh, in America, United States, you can go around the United States of America. You can go in a small town, small Kansas town uh, that I was in, there's a street called Broadway. 
but I never heard of a street called Constricted Way. There's streets called Broadway, but we are taking another way. We are taking the Lord as our constricted way, the way that leads to life. So the narrow gate that we pass through deals not only with outward conduct, but also with inward motive. The old man, the self, the flesh, the human concept, and the world with its glory are all excluded. Only that which corresponds with God's will can enter in. Okay, now we come to four. Instruction in righteousness is to be divinely instructed to enjoy Christ as our lived out righteousness and to be divinely disciplined in being right with God and with man. C says, the issue of God's breathing out of himself through the scripture for teaching, conviction, correction, and instruction in righteousness is that the man of God becomes complete, fully equipped for every good work. So one says, a man of God is a God-man, one who partakes of God's life and nature, thus being one with God in his life and nature, and thereby expressing him. Two says God's breathing produces God-men. We need to continually inhale the triune God by reading the scripture with prayer to receive revelation, conviction, correction, and instruction in righteousness. Now we come to Roman numeral three. It says to receive the word of God as the breath of God in order to be constituted with God is also to receive the word of God as the sword of the spirit in order to slay God's adversary. I shared this. I I shared this with you. Uh, Now, A says, Satan is not only the enemy outside of us, but also the adversary inside of us. To deal with this inward adversary, we need to experience the killing power of the word, praying over the constant word of the Bible so that it becomes the instant word of the Spirit. So that it becomes the instant word of the Spirit. B says, the sword, the Spirit, and the word are one. Sword, the Spirit, and the word are one. So again, uh, Ephesians 6, 17, and 18 says, receive the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which Spirit is the word of God, by means of all prayer and petition. So the sword, the spirit, and the word are one. When the constant word in the Bible becomes the instant word, the applied word spoken at the moment by the spirit in any situation, that word is the spirit as the sword that kills the adversary. C says, the more we take the word of God by means of all prayer and spirit, the more the negative elements in our being are slain. Eventually, the self, the worst foe of all, the enemy of the body, will be put to death. D says, whenever we are troubled by something negative within us, we should take the word of God by means of prayer in spirit. When the negative things in us are killed through prayer reading the word, the Lord is victorious. We want the Lord to display his victory in us. 
For him to display his victory in us, we need to pray, read the word. Pray, read the word. He says, we are preserved in the church life and in the ministry by receiving the word as the spirit to be the killing sword, which is a spiritual antibiotic to kill the germs within us so that we can live a healthy body life, a healthy church life. Ev says, the overcomers keep the Lord's word by always coming to the Lord to contact him as the living word in the written word so that he can become the applied word as the dispensing spirit in them. So you have the constant word in the scriptures, you have the Lord as the living word, and you have the spirit, the dispensing spirit, as the applied word, the applied word. In John 5, 39 through 40, uh, the Lord told, uh, you know, the Pharisees and the scribes, he said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have life. You have eternal life. And it is these, it is these scriptures that testify concerning me, that testify concerning me. Yet you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Saints, whenever we come to the word, we should always pray a simple prayer. Lord, I come to you in the word. I come to you in the word. I want to contact you in the word. It makes a big difference when you pray that simple prayer. So John 6.63, eventually uh, the, the constant word becomes the instant word. It becomes the applied word as the dispensing spirit within us. And so uh, the constant word uh, in the Bible, in the Greek, it's the word logos, L-O-G-O-S. That's the written word, the constant word. But the, the, the word, the applied word that becomes the dispensing spirit within us is rhema, R-H-E-M-A, rhema. We have, a, a, we have some brothers that serve for an entity known as rhema. I like that word, rhema. Rhema is the instant word. It's the word spoken to you personally. It's when this word in the Bible gets spoken to you personally, intimately. And so then it becomes a part of you. It becomes a part of you. And so uh, the words, that means that the words that he speaks to us are spirit and life. That, that, that Greek word for words there is the plural of rhema. It's the applied word to us. The rhema is a word spoken to you with your name on it. With your name on it. Anyway, uh, it's very marvelous. Very marvelous. You know, uh, I could never forget Acts 5.20 because uh, this verse says, the angel said to Peter, and he was conveying God's speaking to Peter, he said, go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, the reason why I remember that is not because I tried to memorize it. I prayed over that verse years ago. Uh, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. 
The Lord spoke that verse to me, Acts 5.20, just before I got married. Because I invited all my tax collector friends to my wedding so I could preach the gospel to them. And so the Lord spoke this verse to me. Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Now, there's a marvelous footnote in the recovery version on the word this. Uh, The angel said this life because the life that Peter was enjoying, uh, Peter's life and work and ministry uh, made the divine life so real and present in his situation that the angel said this life, this life you're enjoying, this life you're living, this life you're ministering, uh, speak the words of this life to the people. And uh, so I prayed over that verse. And because I was, uh, Ruth and I were married in her dad's, uh, her father's denomination, the brothers fellowship with us that we had to do this to take care of her father. He was a pastor and honor him. Uh, so one of the brothers from the church in Houston came with me to support me. And that was a big supply, a big supply. And so uh, I shared with my old friends who didn't know the Lord the day before my wedding. I shared with them how I got saved. And you could have heard a pin drop at that table. They just looked at me. They didn't say amen. They didn't say that's wonderful. I just went, okay, let's go to the next subject. You know, they just, anyway, just before I got married, of course, the Lord had spoken to me this verse because I was going to speak at my wedding. I was going to say something. And, um, and, you know, in a traditional wedding uh, outside of the recovery, you, the bride is, is back there, and she's getting ready. She's getting ready. She's getting adorned. And then the bridegroom is in a back room, and he has a best man. He has groomsmen. I think you call them groomsmen. Anyway, so I was back there with my best friend and with my friends uh, and, and with a brother who came from the church in Houston to support me. I'm glad he was there. Anyway, one of my best friends in college, he said to me, he said, Ed, I was so touched about how you got saved by the Lord Jesus. He said, how can I get saved? How can, can you imagine? I'm there. I'm ready to get married. And you're asking me how you can get saved now? You just said, what am I going to do, Lord? What am I going to do? So by faith, I just uh, preached the gospel to him. Uh, The Reader's Digest, a version of the gospel. I preached a good gospel to him, though. It was a good, solid gospel. And he called on the name, he repented. He called on the name of the Lord, and he got saved. He got saved. Then there was a knock on the door. says, the bride is ready. And so I came out. And I got married. So on the same day, my best friend got saved, and I got married. It was very wonderful. But that came 
the reason why I could speak to my friend like this is because I pray read the word. And that word got into me. Now, Jesus says the overcomers are fully constituted with the spirit as the word of God to be the bride of Christ and the new man, the corporate man of God with the breath of God as the killing sword for the destruction of the enemies of God and for the manifestation of the sons of God. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral four. The Lord is with our spirit that we may enjoy him as our empowering grace to stand against the downward current of the church's decline. Grace is the circulating triune God dispensing all that he is into us for our enjoyment. The entire church life depends on grace as the circulation of the divine trinity within us. So the grace of the Lord, we could say, is the Lord himself as life to us for our enjoyment. The love of God is God himself as the source of the grace of the Lord. And the fellowship of the Spirit is the Spirit himself as the transmission of the grace of the Lord with the love of God for our participation. Then listen to this this statement. This transmission of the grace of the Lord is the circulating triune God. So we need, to, we need to allow the triune God to circulate within us, to, to flow within us. That becomes grace to us, grace to us. Now, A says, the first case of grace in the New Testament is the case of God's incarnation. Now, we don't think about this. But one says, Mary was graced by God and found grace with God because he came to visit her. And he entered into her and stayed in her to be the very essence of her conceiving a wonderful person who would be both God and man, a God-man, a God-man. So two says, in this principle, grace is God's visitation to stay in us, to be born in us, to be one with us, and even to become us. B says, grace is the wonderful Christ as the embodiment of of the triune God in three aspects. What he is, what he gives, and what he does on our behalf for our enjoyment. Saints, I'd just like to mention a word on enjoying the Lord. Give yourself to enjoy the Lord. You know, the enjoyment of the Lord solves all of our problems. It solves all the problems in the church life. If you read 1 Corinthians First, the church in Corinth was full of problems, full of problems. But the way Paul wrote to them is he unveiled 20 aspects of Christ for their enjoyment, for their enjoyment. So our enjoyment of Christ, of the crucified Christ, our enjoyment of Christ, which includes the cross, it solves all the problems in the church life. Saints, give yourself to enjoy the Lord. Don't let a day go by where you don't enjoy the Lord. Enjoy the Lord. You know, uh, some men, they were, they, they were circling the moon, circling the moon, and everybody in Times Square in New York City, they were watching this on the monitor. Actually, everyone in the world was watching this. 
These men are circling the moon. And uh, I don't know which astronaut did this, but uh, he, had a, he, smuggled, he smuggled a Bible in, with him onto the space shuttle or whatever you call it back then. And he read the Bible. He read the Bible. As in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, and the Spirit of God brooded upon the face of the waters. You know, the earth was, with, was without form and void. I'm sorry. And the Spirit of God brooded upon the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And everyone was listening to this astronaut reading the Bible. He went up there to read the Bible to the whole world. He, that was the reason, he didn't realize it, but that was the reason he was up there. It was to read the Bible to the whole world. And, you know, I've been to Washington, D.C. Maybe you've been there. They have a moon rock there, a piece of a moon rock. And people stand in line to touch that moon rock. So I stood in line. I touched the moon rock and nothing happened to me. There's nothing, there's nothing out there. You touch the moon rock, you just, wow. I just touched it, you know, and nothing happened. Well, I thought, someday maybe I should circle the moon. And I should tell the world, enjoy the Lord. All of you down there on earth. You need to enjoy the Lord. The Lord is enjoyable. He is enjoyable. Now, I'll read on this sentence. It says, Christ can be everything to us as grace because he has been processed and consummated to be the life-giving spirit indwelling our spirit. So three times in Galatians 6, Philippians 4, and Philemon 25, it says the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, which means the enjoyment, grace is God in Christ as the spirit for our enjoyment. That enjoyment of the triune God is with our spirit. That's why we exercise our spirit to enjoy him. Now one says grace is the wonderful Christ in, in what he is, in what he is. Two says uh, grace is the wonderful Christ given to us, dispensed into us, superabounding with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Faith and love in Christ Jesus. You know, in 2 Corinthians 12, 7 through 9, I've always enjoyed these verses. Paul says, because of the transcendence of the revelations I've received, he said, in order that, that I might not be exceedingly lifted up, in order that I might, I might not become proud, uh, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, that he might buffet me, in order that I might not be exceedingly lifted up. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And Paul says, most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast in my weaknesses that the power of Christ might tabernacle over me. 
I would encourage you all to get a booklet, and this again is by Brother Watchman E. It's called The Treasure in Earthen Vessels. The Treasure in Earthen Vessels. In that booklet, now I can't, I can't tell you exactly the story, but I can tell you the gist of the story. Uh, one time, uh, Brother Lee was ill, Brother Nee was ill, and he prayed that this illness would be removed from him, would be removed from him. And uh, he prayed repeatedly, prayed repeatedly. And the Lord showed him a picture of a river with a big boulder in that river, and the boat couldn't get around the boulder, couldn't get around the boulder. So he said, it was as if the Lord said to me, do you want me to remove the boulder or increase the level of the water? Which one do you want? And then Brother Nee understood that uh, he needed the Lord to increase the level of the water within him. So the Lord is not in the boulder-removing business. He's in the grace-increasing business. So we might have obstacles in our being, boulders, but those boulders are so that we can hear him say, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. My grace, it means uh, grace is God in Christ as the spirit for our enjoyment, that is sufficient for us to overcome every obstacle and every barrier to, so that we can be one with him, be constituted with him for the building up of the church as the body of Christ and for the preparation of the bride of Christ. Now, B is wonderful when we cannot do anything, when we are not able to move. We're not able to even move. When we have no strength, that is the time to trust in and enjoy the supply of God as grace. So in Song of Songs 8, 5, and 6, the Lord says this to the seeker. He says, who is this who comes up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved? Leaning on her beloved. In other words, she's so weak that she has to lean on the Lord as her beloved. And this is the way we need to be with the Lord. We lean on him. We're coming out of the earthly wilderness to be raptured, and we lean on the Lord as our beloved, as our beloved. And then the seeker prays to the Lord. She says, set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. So she wants the Lord to set her as a seal on his heart of love, and as a seal on his arm of power and strength. You know, a seal is something indelible, indelible. That means you become a part of the Lord's heart, you become a part of the Lord's arm, his heart of love, and his arm of power, his arm of power. Now, in Hebrews eleven twenty one, 21, it says, Jacob, while he was dying, blessed each of the sons of jo- Joseph and worshiped God while leaning on the top of his staff. He leaned on the top of his staff. This signifies that Jacob confessed that he was a sojourner, a traveler on the earth, and that God had shepherded him all his life long. Hasn't God shepherded you all your life long? All our life long to this day, God has shepherded us. 
That's Genesis 48, 15. Now, three says grace is the wonderful Christ doing everything in us on our behalf. Unlike A, A says grace is Christ as our burden bearer. Grace is Christ as our burden bearer. Don't try to bear your burdens on your own. Grace is Christ as our burden bearer. As our burden bearer. All these verses show this. B says those who wait on the eternal God. Now what does it mean to wait on the eternal God? We might have a concept about this. But to wait on the eternal God is defined in the parentheses. It means those who stop themselves with their living, doing, and activity and who receive God in Christ as their life, person, and replacement. So those who wait on the eternal God in this way, they will experience the resurrection power of Christ as grace to support, sustain, strengthen, cover, and protect them. This is in Isaiah 40, 31. It says, those who wait on Jehovah will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and will not faint. They will walk and will not become weary. Become weary. And we have some wonderful verses in the Psalms here. I can't read them all. I would encourage you to read them. Uh, This shows that grace is the wonderful Christ doing everything on our behalf. Uh, These verses show that grace is Christ as our burden bearer. These verses show us that when we wait on the eternal God, we mount up with wings like eagles, like eagles. And, um, you know, these verses in Psalms mention the shadow of God's wings, the shadow of God's wings. Psalm 17.8 is a good verse for all of us to pray. It says, guard me like the pupil of your eye. In the shadow of your wings, hide me. Saints, that's a great prayer to pray. Guard me like the pupil of your eye. In the shadow of your wings, hide me. You know, um, uh, brother, uh, what is your name? This brother here, what is your name? Uh, Finn. Finn? Finn? How do you spell that? F-I-N. F-I-N? Okay, Finn, could you come here for a second? Thank you, Finn. I need your help. Praise the Lord. Phineas. Yes. That's, that's a wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, if I, Phineas, face me. Now, if I tried to touch the pupil of Phineas's eye, <laughs> and I went like this, what would he do? You see, he's moving, right? But what he would really do, what he would really do is he would, he would put my hand down, right? If I got real close, he would, right? Because, thank you, Phineas. Thank you, Finn. Uh, you don't let people touch the pupil of your eye. Well, we are the pupil of God's eye. So the psalmist says, guard me like the pupil of your eye. The shadow of your wings hide me. In Psalm 57, 1, he says, Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me, for my soul takes refuge in you. Indeed, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. 
until the destruction passes by. A lot of these verses talk about hiding under the shadow of God's wings. Okay, now I'll come to the final point. The final point speaks of the last verse in the Bible. And the last verse in the Bible, we should all know this. We should pray over this. It says, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. Let's say that together. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. That shows grace. The God in Christ as a spirit for our enjoyment runs throughout the entire New Testament. From Mary who conceived Christ as a God-man all the way to Revelation twenty-two twenty-one, where the grace of the Lord Jesus is to be with all the saints. Amen. So C says, the grace of the Lord must be with each one of us in every aspect of our daily life because we are saints. This grace consummates in the new Jerusalem as the consummation of God's good pleasure in joining and mingling himself with man for his glorious enlargement and eternal expression. Now this is a man of God with the breath of God and the Lord being with our spirit to be our empowering grace. I really love this very much. I just pray that the Lord would guide us into the reality of these points and bring us into the experience and enjoyment of these points. All right, now uh, let's pray with our neighbor for a minute or so over something that touched us, and then the brothers will tell us what to do from here.